Hello and welcome to Puglisi Associates podcast. I'm Rocco Puglisi and I'm pleased to be joined today by the mayor of Lancaster, Deneen Siraji, and by Senator Scott Martin, whose district includes the city of Lancaster. In full disclosure for our listeners, Puglisi Associates is currently representing the city of Lancaster before the Wolf administration and legislature. I'd like to start with some personal background about each of you for our listeners. You are both from Lancaster. Scott, you are a lifelong resident, and Deneen, you spent your childhood in Lancaster and came back to raise a family. How do each of your backgrounds shape your passion for serving the area? Deneen, we'll start with you. Thank you, Rocco. I would say that a good part of my background, uh, both uh, here in Lancaster County, but then also uh, growing up in Juniata County, has been shaped by a lot of the same values that are Lancaster County, uh, related to stewardship and uh, personal responsibility and hard work. And so I um, definitely bring those values to the table. I think that one of another part of that is also recognizing that. Uh, we don't all start from the same place and that life can throw you lemons and you don't always bounce back as quickly as you would like. So for my, in my case, for my family, going through medical emergencies for both my dad and my mom, losing everything, living in a tent, being on food stamps, uh, and also not having that uh, define who and what my family was. Uh, poverty comes with a lot of stigma and shame and I felt that very, very clearly as a kid growing up. And I think that that definitely shapes how I approach issues related to people who live here in the city, the struggles that they are up against, and the recognition and value of creating a community in which everyone can, can succeed. Thank you. How about you or uh, your experience, Scott? You know, I, I think it's many different things. First, thank you for uh, having me on today. It's great to be with you and the mayor. Um, you know, I I grew up I was the oldest of seven kids, so we grew up as a relatively poor family. Um, my parents, uh, my dad was a lifelong law enforcement officer um, uh, who began here locally after he got out of the Navy, and uh, he uh, ended up becoming an undercover narcotics agent in the state later on in the second half of his career. And once some of the kids were out of the house, my mom went on to be a Catholic school teacher uh, here locally at St. Anne's Elementary and where she still is to this day. Um, I, I think when you grow up and you don't have a lot, um, you uh, definitely learn to look at things a little bit differently. You understand what others might be going through. Um, and one of those things I, I understood very early on in life um, is understanding the difference between wants and needs. Um, understanding the value of hard work. You know, it, it meant something for my family uh, to send me to St. Anne's and Lancaster Catholic. Um, but boy, scrubbing wax in the summers uh, in that high school or, or having to do uh, uh, landscaping at my church and kind of earning off my tuition, you know, it definitely taught you some values. Um, but for me, uh, really, I think a lot of my athletic career and how to work well with other people, my teammates, uh, being coachable, and I heard that word a little, little bit earlier on here from the mayor. Um, I think those are things that, that stick with you throughout your life in, in trying to get things done. And uh, there, those are life lessons uh, I normally give back. And finally, I'll say this, you know, I had a chance to play in a lot of different places around the country. 
And I always found my way back to this community because I always knew Lancaster County was a very special place uh, to live, to raise a family. And, uh, and I knew when the time came for me to have a family and this, this was the place where I wanted to be. Thank you. Well, Scott, in terms of, um, it, it's a great segue from when coming back to Lancaster as relates to public service. What, what got you into the uh, public service it was definitely a uh, not your, your typical route. I never had the thought that I was going to get into public service from the standpoint of in the politics. Um, and those off seasons that I would fly back and train in Lancaster County, I actually also would be working at a place called the Barnes Hall Juvenile Detention Center. It was a county government department. Um, I uh, spent a lot of time there. And um, as some folks will remember, the first thing that ever caught my eye in terms of drawing me into the public process of governing was the 1999 county commissioner's election. And that election was basically whether or not the county was going to build a new youth intervention center, a new detention center. And not to get into all that, but it was a really interesting dynamic. The final vote uh, you had on the Republican side and the Democratic side, each one person for and one against. So uh, it came down to a gentleman named uh, Ron Ford who I have great, great admiration for, who defeated uh, the longtime Channel 8 weatherman, Bill Saylor, by 100-some votes. And that's how that facility got built. So that's the first time I ever got interested in that public dynamic. And quite frankly, uh, it grew. And uh, one of the commissioners who had won, I wasn't a big fan of, and uh, wasn't literally our boss where I was at. And, so someone looked at me one day and said, you know, as we're talking about who's going to run against this guy? And someone looked at me and said, why not you? And uh, even though I lost that very first election in a primary in 2003, the bug had bitten me. And um, it was the exact opposite result four years later. And, and uh, kind of my, my, my journey in politics and government really started there. How many years did you serve uh, in, as a county commissioner? I was a two, in two terms. Uh, so I got sworn in January of 2008, you know, right before the recession. Um, so that made that first term really interesting. And then uh, we uh, all ran pretty much unopposed in 2011. Um, and so then I had a year that I was out of government when I was running for the Senate. And I'm currently in my uh, third year uh, of my first term as a senator. Thank you. Mayor, how about your direction I would say similar to the senator never in a million years was I ever interested I have always been interested in public policy but I always saw myself on the other side of the table advocating for various issues not necessarily uh, being in an elected position and so for me it really happened that I um, was approached to run for City Council and I was like no nah, I don't think so and then I was asked again and and at that point I was working um, with a small nonprofit here in the city, Live Green, and we were focusing on a lot of environmental issues. The city was just getting started with its green infrastructure planning, trying to figure out what we were gonna do um, related to our combined storm system. And, and so then I decided, yeah, I'll, I'll sit on city council. Uh, it's um, part-time, I could do that while I was doing my other work and get to know the city better and stay connected because my work um, that I was doing really um, was national in focus, so this was a way for me to get to know my community better. It wasn't until uh, Mayor Gray 
the indications were that he wasn't going to run again, that I was actually seriously thinking about doing something bigger than a part-time uh, position on city council. And it was in that um, transition time where people were kept asking me about running for mayor and are you going to run for mayor? Are you interested in running for mayor? And my initial response was, oh, no, I am definitely not interested in running. And my husband was the one who was like, you know, Deneen, maybe you should just like wonder about this for a hot minute. It's fine if you decide that you don't want to do it, but just off the cuff, just responding no, uh, you might be selling yourself short and you should actually ask people why they think I would be good in this job, why they are even why I'm even crossing their mind as a potential candidate. And it was through that process and some other things uh, that became apparent to me that I was up to step out and uh, had a contested primary, uh, contested general. And I, my philosophy through that whole year of 2017 was I'm going to knock on the door and I'm going to work really hard. And if the door opens, I'm going to walk through it and I'm just going to keep going until the end. And the end was me being sworn in as the 43rd mayor of the city and the second woman to hold this office. And I, I can tell you this, too, the first time I ever met Denise, I think it was the first time, when she talked about she'd advocate for issues on behalf of her neighborhood, it was actually about speeding and, and the use of local radar. And we, we joke about this, I still bring this up to her, and we still bring that up as, you know, the house is now playing games with that bill again, you know, and... We got but, it out uh, of the Transportation Committee. Yeah, that's the first time I, I met her, back when I was a county commissioner. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So let's talk about third-class cities, since the city of Lancaster is a third-class city. And out of 57 cities of Pennsylvania, we have 54 designated third-class cities. By definition, a third-class city is a city with a population below 250,000 people that has not adopted a second-class city ordinance. Here in Pennsylvania, there are cities that are struggling due to a number of reasons, such as deteriorating tax base, increased cost in their infrastructure, along with a slew of other reasons. Act 47 is a state oversight program for financially distressed cities in Pennsylvania. The state, as you know, tries to help cities turn their finances and operations around with this act. To date, Lancaster remains one of the few not to go into Act 47, and yet, the city does face its share of challenges that may not be visible to many since the city of Lancaster has been cited in the last several years as being either number one or number two as the best place to retire. Mayor, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges for Lancaster City and other third-class cities, especially those not participating in Act 47? So the biggest challenge for us is that we are still operating under a set of rules that was written in 1965 and has not kept pace with the changing dynamics of um, the 21st century. So we are a regional asset. We are a hub for government, education, healthcare, civic life, cultural life in our community. And we, uh, 
bring in additional 30,000-ish people every day to work uh, in the city of Lancaster. And when those folks go home, um, they are basically taking um, their incomes with them. And so the city doesn't benefit from this, the fact that we are this regional asset. Uh, the entirety of the city services, uh, with a few exceptions, are supported by a local tax base that has 30% uh, of properties that are non-taxable and uh, the lowest uh, um, earning capacity. So we have the highest rate of poverty in the county. Um, and so you, don't, you, you add all that together, and then on top of that are the mandated services, specifically police and fire, uh, that, of course, we are going to continue to provide. And you have a recipe for uh, fiscal insolvency long-term. We've been able to uh, maintain our strength uh, financially due to really careful fiscal stewardship, maintaining our costs over time, but we've also raised taxes eight out of the last 14 years. And our millage rate is, to me, there is there is more legal room to raise the millage rate for property taxes, uh, but it would be on top of school district taxes uh, and other utilities that we have that we're special because we have stormwater fees on top of everything else, um, is not sustainable for their, our residents. And so we have um, been pretty successful, and there's been a stroke of luck in, uh, you know, Park City sold last year, so we got a million dollars in a real estate transfer. That was really good news, but we can't count on that kind. We can't hope <laughs> for uh, revenues, we have to actually be able to plan for how we're going to pay for these critical services. So we live in a really, we're, we're constrained by a really archaic system uh, that um, started before I was born. Okay, thank you. Scott, as the state senator representing Lancaster City and Lancaster <laughs> County, and as years being a county commissioner, and your third year as state senator, and knowing what, um, cognizant of what the mayor stated, what are your thoughts about how to move the city of Lancaster through this archaic uh, set of, um, of rules legislation? You know, I think first and foremost, um, the structure that we allow local governments to operate, and when I say local governments, whether they be counties, whether they're cities, boroughs, townships, um, we are directly at fault with the state as a state because we set that framework. And though the state has Act 47, um, I quite frankly have believed that the principle of how it's operated has been kind of backwards. Um, and it's kind of incentivized people to remain in Act 47, which we've had plenty of examples for decades, because we wait until there's a prop, things are seriously uh, gone wrong, and then we want to give them flexibility. Then we want to give them assistance. Um, to me, we need to be working with those entities, and I put the city of Lancaster in this class, that are trying to be very proactive um, in, in addressing not only the challenges of right now. See, that, that, this is a huge point, and it's actually one of the reasons I have great respect for the work um, that the mayor is doing, is all too often, and I think Harrisburg is the poster child for this, is the fact of people look for patchworks on a yearly basis. 
doesn't matter what the long-term implications might be of borrowing from this fund, you know, tobacco settlement fund or whatever it might be, um, in order to get your book straight. Um, what I respect, she didn't approach me from a standpoint of, you know, our budget this year is really bad, and what can you do to help us right now? She has consistently, since she came in as mayor, um, has been looking at the long term. She, she's kept her eye on the fact that she knows when things are going to start to not have such a great outlook. And it's important that she's doing the work that she has been doing uh, in educating folks around the Commonwealth and building uh, partnerships for people to realize as great as the perception is of the city of Lancaster, we have so much to be proud of of what this city has been, at least from when we were growing up here, um, the, the, the strides it's made that we're now facing the same kind of difficulties. And that should raise a lot of alarms with a lot of my colleagues around the state. Um, and it really, the duty is on us to work hand in hand uh, with our local officials to create the framework um, to honor the responsible actions that they're trying to take for the long-term sustainability of their communities. Um, and it probably shines no bigger as f terms of, of an area that needs to be addressed is how then they collect their revenue. Right. And she's exactly right. This place is a hub. I couldn't begin to say what the total number of people that are down working here during a day when, you know, the garages are full and the businesses are open and, um, but you have a small element of folks who are carrying that tax base to provide services that so many others benefit from, uh, it doesn't make sense. And there's, there's been others that have gotten special treatment through the state in terms of addressing it. Um, probably most recently was with uh, the city of Harrisburg for a, th a three year local services tax, which basically allows them um, to collect basically triple the amount mm -hmm. than other entities. Um, here, we have all these, uh, these, this strategy in place to do what's best for the city's fiscal health long-term and providing city, uh, services now. I look at the work that uh, the mayor's doing here and her team and say, we need to work collaboratively with them and do what we can do to help them as they're focused on that sustainability. Thank you. Deneen, um, once the city is inside Act 47, they have more tolls to raise revenue and boost economic development than a city that is struggling to stay out of that situation. So let's talk about that. What needs, from your perspective, needs to change to offer financial sustainability to cities like Lancaster? So we are precluded to collect revenues in four ways. And out of those four ways, only one is uh, subject to change uh, by the city, and that is property taxes. Uh, the earned income tax rate, the local services tax rate, and the real estate transfer tax rate are all set by state law. We do not have a business privilege tax. We are actually one of two communities of the 10 largest uh, third class cities across the state that do not have business privilege tax. Uh, that is Lancaster and Erie. And that was, um, that was institutionalized or, and made, um, you know, was, was set in stone in 1988, I believe, as part of a local tax reform package. And so we have been operating without an additional tax revenue that most other cities have. So it even makes it feel like, wow, we have really been up against it and have been making this work for a long time with fewer tools already than most other cities across the Commonwealth. 
And so for us, uh, what I am advocating for is for the city of Lancaster to have access to the same tools that communities are in, who are in Act 47, such that you are um, not having to fall off a cliff and have decades long ramifications, but that this could be a prevention strategy to help us think about how we are funding our critical public safety services. And this is something that, you know, I'm really sensitive to, I'm not just coming and asking for, uh, you know, a short term, like help us fix this one, one thing. I'm not, I'm also uh, really cognizant that the city needs to continue to uh, really be mindful about our spending and how we are spending and to be good stewards of the public monies that we are entrusted with. So this isn't a money grab. This is about paying for critical public safety. Uh, our police and fire, uh, our police responds to about 55,000 service calls every year. Our fire is about 4,000 a year. Those calls are critical uh, here in the city of Lancaster and we rely and, and there is never a question that when you dial 911 that we are going to have a response to you within uh, three to four minutes. And that's a really that's something that I'm proud of. That level of service we meet National Fire Prevention Act uh, protocols. Uh, we have best in class in terms of our response times. That's important, and we have to continue to do that. And it also costs money. So our budget going into 2019, uh, 2020 is 36 million dollars. Uh, to provide police and fire services here in the city of Lancaster. Our property tax revenues are $30 million with the highest millage rate in the county. There's a $6 million gap just right there. Thank you. So when you, when you talk about public safety, one of the issues that we're currently working on is the aspect of the uh, two firehouses that we're looking to construct. And um, Senator Martin was helpful in advocating for some funding from the RCAP program. Tell me a little bit more about the uh, two firehouses as it relates from the city's perspective. Well, we are um, struggling because uh, we had to, it's a very, very difficult time right now to be bidding projects like this because uh, construction costs are increasing uh, and there's a lot of uncertainty related to tariffs. Uh, that is being mm -hmm. baked into uh, the construction, co the estimates. So our first round of estimates that came back for the two fire stations were way over budget. And so we had to go back and do a lot of value engineering and we rebid the whole thing so that we could really extract all of the savings through the rebid process. That saved us about two and a half million dollars, which we're really grateful for. And at the same time, there are the amount of monies that we have borrowed are not going to be sufficient to pay for the for both of these fire stations. Um, we are going out to be touring the facilities on Wednesday with some other folks uh, from the state. You will quickly realize that our apparatus did not fit into the stations any longer. Um, these stations were built in the 1960s. Uh, also, uh, it they do not adhere to the best practices for what we have learned about uh, cancer and um, and the turnout gear that our firefighters are coming back from a call with, 
and the the separation of where that turnout gear is and how where it's located how it's clean in contrast to where their sleeping quarters are so these are really uh, health and safety issues uh, for our individual uh, staff as well as collectively for our community in order to be able to continue to respond so we rebid the project we got we um, we are now proceeding with those bids. We're going to start demolition in February. Um, and uh, we have done a lot in terms of cost savings and we are really in need of additional supports. Thank you. Scott, with you advocating for the RCAP and the governor approved the 500,000, how do you see in terms of your efforts in the next uh, six and a half, seven months because obviously with uh, 2020, there will be a new um, application, a new opening for that round, which will probably be for a month to respond to DCD. So um, it would appear if everything is from a historical perspective, the governor will make the announcement of approvals probably in August of next year. So from your perspective, how do you see things fit? Listen, it, it's in all the different funding streams or issues that we're looking to do, we have to have good partnerships and strategies to accomplish that. When it comes to projects like the, the firehouses, um, as the mayor and I have talked, talked about before, um, you know, the way our cap works is all four caucuses and the governor in terms of what they want to pull funding together for those projects, what that's going to look like at the end of the day. Um, I'm hopeful um, that we can come up with more funds to assist in some of their capital needs. Um, uh, I will tell you, and I, cause I often hear this, I remember my days as, as a commissioner too, people automatically want to point the finger and say, well, what are you doing on the spending side? Mm -hmm. And you know, and Deneen and I actually, we had these conversations. We've, we've talked about her budget and I'm actually very familiar with her budget. And if people truly under, uh, understood, um, unless you want to get in the business of greatly reducing the number of police officers on the street, number of firefighters that are involved, which obviously has a direct impact on response times, which are critical. Um, you know, the city's operating on a very lean and mean budget. I, I, I see what she's up against and why she's concerned. Um, you know, and not everyone would understand that to buy a new fire tanker today and the trucks that are made today, we're running into that across the state in terms of how, how what vehicles can be on how wide the roads are. Mm. You know, same thing's happening with farm equipment. You know, things change. If you can't fit a vehicle and a huge investment into a building, guess what? You better find a building you can put these things into. And so um, we're committed to doing that. I think um, the building of relationships between ourselves and whatever we want to accomplish here with the governor's office, um, you know, we're represented here by Representative Sterla. So um, the work that he can do uh, on the House side as well that we want to cobble together the funding for a project in order to get it to where it needs to be that we're all on the same page and that that's what it's going to take and we see that happening with other other projects as well that have occurred here in this region so i'm committed to do whatever i can to assist them because it is it is critical that we're able to meet those needs and i don't think we want to be having that conversation uh about less police officers on the street right. here or a fire department that it takes them 15, 20 minutes to respond while your house is burning down or your business. That's not conversations any of us want to have. Right. Okay, thank you. So let's uh, switch gears somewhat and talk about the legislative session, Scott. You, we're going to be going into the second year of a two-year legislative session. 
So with the number of days, especially with an election year, presidential election year in 2020, so what are your priorities uh, for next year? Well, I personally, uh, specifically when it talks to this issue, I, I've, I've com committed to the mayor and I'm committed to this community as well, that um, I realize that the property tax debate and all the twists and turns that takes, it's been a long-term debate. I could not look her straight in the eye and say, you know what, we're going to have that done for you by the end of Jan of the, you know, before the end of the budget. So, but what can we do in the meantime? And She's done a good job reaching out to her uh, colleagues across the state. I've reached out to folks on both sides of the aisle uh, in the Senate to build a coalition of people to look at providing those tools, most notably in this case, the, um, the LST, um, to be kind of like the immediate relief, even though that can be long-term, mm -hmm. and devise it in a fact that it rewards those who are trying and doing the right things. That, to me, is one of the biggest things that we can get done here as we enter 2020 before we're done the budget. We're just having meetings uh, right before I got here talking about uh, the best legal way to do that, what, whether standalone legislation versus a potential code, and that's uh, where I'm, either way it's going to we're going to build the coalition to get it done. Um, we mentioned some of their needs in terms of RCAP, you know that as well as many other programs that come up um, uh, that impact the services that they provide or or the amount of money they can put to certain things if they can get relief in another area sure. um, we will continue to work together to ensure that 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 the needs of the 13th senatorial district which this is the hub of um, are being met okay thank you Deneen in terms from your perspective as the mayor of the city of Lancaster and knowing the impact that state government plays with the city what are your thoughts in terms of aside from RCAP and looking at providing tolls for the city of Lancaster or any other city for that matter to not go into Act 47 and have the tolls needed in order to not enter that abyss, so to speak. So aside from that, the city of Lancaster has, uh, owns a water uh, authority. Uh, you have your Department of Water. It's not a water authority. It is ours. It is the city of Lancaster. It's the city of Lancaster. Mm -hmm. So tell me about that, and aside from the other two, but um, tell me about what challenges you have or the city has in terms of owning a water company. Well, um, it is a capital expense. It is also a revenue generator. We generate $4 million annually from uh, our water the sale of our water to 130,000 customers in the Lancaster City and the surrounding suburbs to help offset our general fund expenses. Uh, I, I would say that on the water side, it is always a balance be because we have so many capital expense needs between water and sewer uh, to balance that with uh, the way that we are required through the PUC to basically take on the debt for all of the capital projects, have all of the capital projects finished and in the ground, and then go through a very expensive rate case process that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. That is the challenge that we have related to our, our water utility as well as our um, sewer utilities. And that process means that our debt capacity 
for our utilities uh, overall is counted into our debt capacity for the entirety of the city and is borne entirely by, again, the lowest capacity, uh, you know, highest uh, number of nonprofits in the city in terms of what we have uh, in terms of our revenue capacity. And that's borne entirely by city taxpayers when in, in fact, especially for water, it serves our region, not just the city of Lancaster. So that's a major problem that I would like to figure out. Another problem that I would like to figure out is how PennVest decides which uh, are grants and which are loans and how those decisions are made. That is something that I have continued to ask for clarity about and I don't understand how those decisions are made. We appreciate that we get support from PennVest for low interest loans, uh, but we also know that <laughs> given the, the fact that we are bearing all of these costs until we go through that really expensive rate case process. So those are, those are a couple of things that are challenging on the utility side. Okay, so, and then you look at uh, the issue of RCAP. So hopefully uh, the city will apply on a single application to DCD for additional dollars for the uh, construction of the two firehouses. And then hopefully with uh, working with uh, Senator Martin and his colleagues, as well as Representative Sterla mm -hmm. and his colleagues in the House, could get some consensus in terms of the um, Act 47 issue. Mm -hmm. That the I mean, yes, I would say that I am laser focused on figuring out the 2021 budget. Right. And we just passed, we just had uh, our budget hearings on Saturday for 2020. Uh, the uh, legislation has been introduced. It will be voted on uh, this month uh, to put us into a place that we can run with the 2020 budget. 2020 budget was hard, but it's not nearly going to be uh, the challenge that 2021 will be because of our uh, MMO, uh, our minimum municipal obligation is going to change in 2021. And um, we also, there's just a number of things that are gonna show up all at once in 2021. And we will not be able to uh, maintain our city operations without a tax increase. In fact, looking at our budget projections over the next five years, if nothing else changed uh, except for property taxes, property taxes would have to increase by 30%. That is untenable untenable for property owners here in the city of Lancaster and that's why this uh, effort is so important and why I appreciate having um, uh, Senator Martin, Representative Sterla, members from Governor Wolf's administration in conversation about this uh, need uh, for the city of Lancaster. We have been and people look around and go, wow, there's so much development downtown. This is amazing. Economic development is really helping. Yes, it is helping. It's actually, it's actually helping the state more than it's helping us uh, because we don't see a single a, a dollar from sales tax revenue, nothing from um, liquor sales, uh, very little from income tax, and it is booming. And there is a point of no return when uh, the city of Lancaster will not be a place for investment uh, because of the tax burden that's here. Which brings me to my second wish list item for Harrisburg, which is implementation of the fair funding formula 
for our public schools. And so a very little bit of the funds that are allocated by the state go through the fair funding formula. That is shortchanging the school district of Lancaster by about $30 million. That has direct impact on our um, property tax bills related to the school district, which affects municipal um, taxes because there is not a year that goes by where I don't think about are we raising taxes as the same time that the school board is raising taxes. And those two things happening simultaneously is the difference between our families that live here being able to pay the bills and put food on the table versus paying their tax uh, liability. So that's my wish. I know it's a lot of conversation. I'm uh, patting the back of Senator Martin right now because I know that it's a priority. It's just very very hard uh, because there are other districts here in the county that are also underfunded uh, and and then there are others that are overfunded and so this it's a real challenge in terms of coming up with a time frame to establish equity and then of course um, you know because this is how we met initially radar we are so darn close and to get it out of the out of the House Transportation Committee, I really uh, appreciate that we have Lancaster County representation on that committee through Representative Fee, and I look forward to the House taking uh, up that issue for a vote um, before the end of this legislative session. Thank you. And, and these are issues that, uh, when you talk about that fair funding formula, um, you look at two different standpoints. The basic education funding formula, if all the money was run through it, in the 13th senatorial district, I have eight school districts. Mm -hmm. Seven out of the eight would receive increases in the funding that comes from the state and only one would lose. Uh, I think across the entire Lancaster County, it would be all but two school districts in our entire county would receive more money uh, coming. It's just a general area of the state. The deals that were cut over the years, Harrisburg's ability to, um, I'm trying to find a politically correct word, uh, warped the funding formula, even still to this day, uh, through giving special allotments that ended up being included as part of the base. Our county's never gotten that. Our school district here in the, in the city of Lancaster has never gotten that. So um, we're continuing to advocate for that. I, I know I've sat on the other side of the equation with the Special Education Funding Commission. Mm -hmm. uh, we finished up four different hearings across the state and um, hopefully come up with uh, a new way of doing that so that areas that have been historically underfunded are receiving their fair share. Um, and I think the mayor's exactly correct. It's tough not to look at your folks when they're coming into your office and talking about the fact that they cannot afford to live here anymore or they might lose their homes. It's not just because of the city taxes, right? It, it could be because of the school district taxes and you add the county property portion on it as well. And it's a real issue. People sit in our offices and talk about that. And I think my final thing I'll say on that radar bill is, um, it got a little butchered coming out of the House um, Transportation Committee. I truly hope I'm going to really work with, uh, hopefully, a Majority Leader Cutler that they can revert back to a prior mm. printer number and send it back to the Senate for concurrence. I'm glad it got out of committee. But the sheer fact that we're the only state in this entire country that local law enforcement does not use radar is just embarrassing. Um, and it's something we need to fix. Um, listen, I appreciate keeping people under control, speeding on highways, but quite frankly, my bigger concern, it's where kids ride bicycles. It's where pedestrians are. Um, that's where we don't have that ability to try to keep speed under control. And you know, you see the city and other neighborhoods across Lancaster County investing in 
just infra expensive infrastructure to try to slow people down. Mm -hmm. uh, we need those tools here locally. And unfortunately in this world, what does it take a, a dead child on a bicycle underneath a car uh, for, for Harrisburg to finally pass that, so. Hey, thank you. Thank you to the two of you, Mayor, Senator, very much appreciate your time today. Appreciate you both sharing uh, your thoughts with me as well as to our listeners. And this concludes Puglis Associates podcast for today. We hope our listeners enjoy our periodic podcast as we share unique perspectives from Pennsylvania leaders that are committed to the growth and prosperity of Pennsylvania. Thanks again, Mayor, Senator. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for having Thank us. You.